All right, welcome back to Healthspan. This is part four of Age Later by Dr. Nir Barzilay. Last episode, I focused on the hallmarks of aging as well as the TAME study. But one thing I didn't mention was that the results of the TAME study are not out yet. So Dr. Nir Barzilay was writing this book while the TAME study was going on and the results should be coming out within the next year or so. So be on the lookout for the results of showing how aging can be affected with metformin. So I finished the last episode talking about how exercise can improve your overall health and how exercising at any age is beneficial for you. So I'm going to pick up where I left off and show that exercise is an important component of health throughout our lives, but becomes even more important as we age because we become more susceptible to losing muscle and function. So this severe loss, uh, there's a term for it, severe muscle loss, it's called sarcopenia. And this is one of the age-related changes we sometimes see in very old adults. So as we get older, we really stop generating enough new muscle cells to compensate for those that we have lost. And while muscle mass loss is important or is a concern, losing strength is even more of a significant problem. And a decrease in strength can be related to either the quality of the muscle itself or it can be caused by some vascular or neural changes that occur when an older nervous system doesn't tell the muscle to activate or when oxygen and nutrients are impaired. And we know loss of muscle is really bad for not only our health, but our metabolic health as well. Muscle is metabolically active and it's an extremely important organ for maintaining our sensitivity to insulin. And you know, as we get older, our insulin sensitivity decreases, making us more prone to getting uh, diabetes. So muscle can actually store large amounts of glycogen and improve our insulin sensitivity, which is important if you want to prevent diabetes. Now, there was a study done with exercise plus metformin. So metformin is an AMP kinase activator, which is good for longevity, and it also inhibits mTOR, which is bad for longevity. So there is a gerontologist by the name of Charlotte Peterson at the University of Kentucky who conducted an NIH-funded study in which two groups of elderly people did the same amount of strength training for 14 weeks. Now, during that time, one group took metformin and the other group took a placebo. And Charlotte Peterson's hypothesis was that since exercise and metformin both activate AMP kinase, together they could synergistically amplify this effect. But to her surprise, while both groups increased their strength and muscle quality in a clinical significant way, the metformin seemed to inhibit some of the benefits of exercise, in particular, the addition of muscle mass. So you're probably wondering why metformin inhibited some of the exercise benefits. Well, there's a few reasons why. So we know metformin decreases mTOR. mTOR is extremely important for protein synthesis and the building of muscle. And we also know that AMP kinase, when it becomes activated, can decrease insulin. And insulin is this anabolic hormone which is also needed for, again, protein synthesis and and muscle building. So by metformin inhibiting both mTOR and insulin, we can kind of see that we can understand why the exercise benefit was blunted a little bit. And we also know that metformin inhibits uh, complex one of the electron transport chain. Um, But really, this is not something you should feel worried about. Uh, Even David Sinclair says, just take metformin on days you don't exercise or at least take it on after you exercise to blunt those effects. But really, um, the benefits of taking metformin uh, way outweigh any benefits of not taking it 
when you're exercising. So it's better to, to do both. Dr. Nia Barzile does both. Uh, I do both. Um, it's better to exercise every day and just take metformin either after you exercise or on days you don't exercise. So I kind of finished the exercise topic. Now I'm going to move on to feeding our longevity. So in general, there are really five guiding principles to keep in mind when it comes to nutrition in, in Dr. Nier Barzile's eyes. So the first is just to be mindful of your caloric intake. Uh, this is very obvious. We know the one tried and true thing that extends lifespan across all species is caloric restriction. This is something you should be keeping in mind. The second thing he says is that you want to get your macronutrients, so the proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, and you really want to get it in the right ratio. Now, there's some studies that indicate that a diet higher in fiber is more important for longevity than a diet low in carbohydrates. And we know high amounts of fiber can lower cholesterol, modulate sugar levels, and increase bowel health by keeping things kind of moving through the intestines. And as for protein, studies show that uh, out of all the options, meat is really the most detrimental to our health. Uh, in this study in Loma Linda, which is one of the blue zones, uh, those who ate the most meat had about twice as much cardiovascular mortality, while those who ate the most nuts and seeds as their protein source had about 50% less mortality. And those who ate less meat and more vegetables had lower body mass indexes, lower incidences of type 2 diabetes, less hypertension, and less incidences of cancer, and lower overall mortality. And he also has a segment here about eggs, stating that eggs appear to increase the mortality rate, though, and there are associations between eating eggs and incidences of cardiovascular mortality. So the maximum daily amount of cholesterol recommended in the U.S. guidelines is 200 milligrams, which is about one egg. And if you eat about 1,000 milligrams, which is five eggs a day, you increase your chances of cardiovascular mortality by more than 70%, according to this 2019 study done in the Journal of American Medical Association, or JAMA. Now, this is not a plug for you to go vegan. Eggs are extremely beneficial if you don't overdo it. Uh, so it incorporates some eggs into your diet. Just be, just be careful about how many eggs you're actually eating. We know eggs have the cholesterol needed for the building of hormones. Eggs have good amounts of choline. It's a, it's a good source of protein. So really, uh, if you want to eat eggs, go ahead, but make sure you try to limit them uh, according to this study that shows that eating too many eggs can increase your risk of cardiovascular mortality. So we're going to move forward and talk about preventing obesity. We know as our weight increases, so does our risk for coronary heart disease, type 2 diabetes, cancer, specifically breast, colon, and endometrial, high blood pressure, uh, high total cholesterol, high triglycerides, liver, gallbladder disease, sleep apnea, osteoarthritis, uh, stroke. Uh, the list really goes on when it comes to obesity. And we know losing weight can lower blood pressure, make it easier for us to manage diabetes, reduce the risk of cancer, and reduce our LDL levels. So preventing obesity in the first place um, can have a lot of downstream effects. Um, so it's important to have the right amount of weight on you. Uh, you don't want to be morbidly obese. Again, you don't want to be uh, extremely skinny either, which can increase your risk of fractures and stuff. So you want to be uh, just the right weight. So next is supporting our microscopic friends. So as far as we know, 
there's evidence of microbiome health when it comes to digestion, immune response, inflammation, bone density, and cognition. And although we have more questions than answers, there is no doubt that the microbiome is an important part of our physiology. Now, I believe within the, this next decade that the field of the gut microbiome is going to absolutely explode and a lot more information will come out. But we know we need to feed our microbiome with the vegetables, uh, with some of these foods that, perf- that uh, help form short-chain fatty acids. Um, really feeding our microbiome because we know there's this uh, gut-brain connection, this access as well. So our gut microbiome can affect our, like he said, cognition. Um, so be on the lookout for more microbiome studies and the benefits of having certain species like acromantia and uh, lactobacillus and stuff like that. So be on the lookout for those uh, gut microbiome studies in the near future. So the fourth fact is eat for optimal health, not to lose weight. So out of all the popular diets that have been in fashion over the years, the only one that was based on clinical study with interventions and control group was the Mediterranean diet. This is really the only, again, tried and true diet that is proven to increase health span and lifespan in humans. And keep in mind that results like uh, those found in the Mediterranean diet aren't really attributed to a single factor or a single food. And the Mediterranean diet includes a wide variety of vegetables and fruits, uh, whole grains and legumes, small amounts of fish and poultry, and very little meat. And the olive oil that they consume did appear to be the most significant element uh, in the study results. So I have a whole book on the blue zones and what they eat in the Mediterranean, so you can, you can go ahead and check that out. The fifth fi- final thing he says about this nutrition is that we need to supplement only as needed and without doing harm. So he goes into the micronutrients and vitamins like B12, calcium, vitamin D, Again, it's important to supplement with with these if you're not getting it in your diet, but make sure not to overdo it. So we're going to move on to head, ahead and talk about when we eat and why that matters. So again, I did a whole nother podcast on time-restricted eating and how eating at certain times of days can affect our metabolism and overall health. Again, that's the circadian code by Dr. Sachin Panda, which you can read about, but as far as Dr. Nir Barzilay, he's fasting for 16 hours a day and eating in an eight-hour window because that's usually how long it appears to take for our bodies to use up the stored uh, sugar, which again is the glycogen. We also know that with that 16-hour uh, window of fasting, we, we can drop, drop our insulin levels um, to adapt to the presence of less sugar and enhance the liver's ability to uh, provide as much glucose as needed. And when there's less insulin, there's also less mTOR, because we know insulin can stimulate mTOR. And we know that there can be more autophagy that occurs with that 16-hour window. And again, with the 16-hour window, we know more ketones can be produced. Around that 16 to 24 hours of fasting, we know ketones uh, can start appearing and these have also been shown to extend lifespan in animals. So Dr. Nir Barzilay does the 16-8 method. Um, he also talks about Walter Longo and his uh, fasting mimicking diet and the longevity diet, which, again, is another podcast that I did. You can go ahead and check that out. And, again, in that 
in that diet book, Walter Longo really explains that food we eat can really affect our us at a cellular level. And our cells have this nutrient sensor that can switch hundreds of genes on or off depending on what we eat and also when we eat. He also talks about uh, Peter Atia, who does a seven-day fast with almost no calories four times a year. Uh, all in all, he puts that all these programs have merit, but fasting for at least 16 hours is shown the most promise for lifespan and health span, which is why he's doing it. And he's also lost a lot of weight with it and helped you know, keep him very healthy. So I'll be moving forward and talking about how our DNA has something, something to stay as well. So in this section, he really talks about using your DNA to your advantage. And using your DNA can help offer a lot of helpful information. So if you use the 23andMe uh, or some other company that allows you to see your DNA, there's a lot of important information you can glean from that. And he uses two main examples. So the first example is the BRCA gene, and the second example is the APOE4 gene. So we know people or women with the BRCA mutations, they are highly susceptible to getting breast and ovarian cancer. So if you know you're test positive for the BRCA1 mutation, well, you can get a prophylactic mastectomy, or you can remove your ovaries as well uh, to prevent you from getting cancer. And as far as the APOE4 we know APOE4, if you have two copies of it, it increases your risk of Alzheimer's about 20 to 30 fold. So you can start incorporating things into your lifestyle that helps you prevent getting Alzheimer's. So he, this, this whole section is about using diagnostic testing and using your genes to help improve your health. And we're going to move forward and talk about the power of purpose. So... There is a significant amount of data from scientific studies that suggest that people who have a strong sense of purpose are healthier and enjoy a higher quality of life than people who do not. This is something Ben Greenfield talks about all the time. Can you formulate in one sentence the purpose of why you're here? Uh, it's, just it's just really important to have this purpose in life. And it's okay if that purpose changes, right? You can always say, this is my purpose now. Um, this is my purpose, maybe 15, you know, 15 years in the future, this is going to be my purpose. But it's always important to have a purpose in mind and kind of formulate that into one sentence. He also talks about go, uh, focusing on the positives. So a positive attitude was the fourth most common reason the super agers thought they lived long, longer than their peers. And there's ongoing research regarding mindset and health. And in 2019, JAMA published a study that found that being optimistic was associated with lower risk of cardiovascular events, while being pessimistic was linked to higher risk of these events. And this came from a meta-analysis of 15 studies that had 229,000 participants. So it really goes to show how someone's mindset and attitude can really affect their overall health um, when it comes to dying from these diseases like cardiovascular disease. So I'll be moving forward and ending on his last chapter, which is Bright Horizons. So as genetic testing becomes more refined and less expensive, we can personalize medical treatments in ways that we weren't able to even think about in the past. 
And he goes into the example of cancer, how, for example, you may know that you have a specific gene mutation for cancer, and now we can kind of have targeted therapeutics for your specific cancer. I mean, this is something unheard of, not something we could even dream about 50 years ago, but now with a specific gene mutation, you can have a specific treatment for you. And he also talks about um, a lot of new and ex- excitement around these innovations uh, that are helping really slow and reverse the physical and cognitive decline associated with aging. And the one example he talks about is the hyperbaric center. So we know hyperbaric oxygen, uh, some of these biohackers sit in these hyperbaric chambers that can help deliver more oxygen. And he goes into the example of where diabetics with wounds are treated with this hyperbaric chambers and the bacteria are exposed to this oxygen and kill- and are killed by it. And we also know the notion that as we age, there are areas of the body, really our brain, that do not generate enough blood supply and therefore not enough oxygen. And if oxygen is really delivered to these areas, it can repair tissue and might even stimulate uh, stem cells to initiate a process of uh, rejuvenation. So this is just one example of some of the cool stuff we can look to uh, in the future. Hopefully this the prices of all these uh, expensive biohacking stuff can drop so we can get access to, uh, so everyone can have access to these things, not just the wealthy. So he finishes off with kind of reversing cellular aging. Um, I talked about this in Lifespan by David Sinclair about Yamanaka, who to, in 2006 discovered these four genes who could uh, reprogram adult cells to become uh, pluripotent stem cells. So really kind of reversing this, the, the identity of these cells. And again, here he talks about David, David Sinclair on how he was able to li- deliver these Yamanaka factors with a virus into the optic, optic nerve of mice. And this actually helped restore their partial eyesight with these mice who were previously non-responsive to, um, who had non-responsive optic nerves. So really this is futuristic stuff, but in reality, this stuff is right around the corner. We're able to regenerate optic nerves by introducing these four Yamanaka factors uh, into these mice. So a lot of exciting news uh, on the way. And of course, he gets into that whole genetic engineering, uh, even though we can, should we kind of kind of argument. Uh, if we can manipulate genes in a way that will ensure good health, it will be beneficial for individuals, society, and the economy. That's his point that he's trying to argue here. And again, he goes back and forth about uh, should we or shouldn't we, are we playing God, etc. But to end the book here, he has this really nice statement. He goes, for now... Our best bet and safest course of action is to charge ahead in our quest to develop drugs that temper or stop the activity of undesirable genes and mimic the actions of beneficial variations and mutations so that we can all be young until we die. So tomorrow will be a brighter and healthier. Uh, Tomorrow will be brighter and healthier. This is how he ends his book. Uh, There's a lot of bright, again, this is a bright horizon, a lot of things to look forward to. Uh, a lot of these new innovations, new targeted treatment, all this stuff to look forward to. Uh, but for now, keep it simple. Do the things that know are going to benefit you, benefit you like eating healthy, getting enough sleep, reducing inflammation, exercise, etc. That kind of stuff. So that ends part four of Age Later. 
And this ends Dr. Nir Barzilay's book. I really enjoyed this book. Um, I can't wait for the results of the targeting aging of metformin to come out. We know that aging um, can plague all it's going to plague all of us eventually but the goal is here to again age later as dr nia Barzilay puts it so i hope you enjoyed this podcast i hope you learned something and tune in next week for another episode with another book and again thank you for listening